Act Two, Part One of The Benefit of the Doubt by Arthur Wing Panera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The scene represents a room in Mr. Allingham's cottage at Epsom. On the left-hand side is a fireplace with a fire burning. Above this is a door giving on to the hall, while below it is a similar door, over which hangs a portier drawn aside, admitting to the dining-room. Facing us is a large open French window, and beyond is a view of a pretty garden with trees, laurels, etc. On the right also facing us, but nearer, are a few balustered steps leading to an arched opening which is about three feet from the ground the opening across which runs a rod supporting a portier admits to a small room which although containing no books that are visible is called the library all the furniture and accessories are characteristic of a well-to-do bachelor's residence it is twilight denzel shafto and peter elphick two well-groomed smart-looking men of about five-and-thirty dressed for dinner are shown in by quaif a manservant Quaif is carrying a banjo in a case. What time did Mr. Allingham get down? Quaif placing the banjo on the table. Half an hour ago, sir. I'm now dressing him. To Elphick. Glad you brought the banjo, Mr. Elphick. Elphick, a heavy-looking man with staring eyes, taking the banjo from its case with great care. Nearly made me lose the train, Quaif, puzzling whether to bring it or not. Quaif laying the case aside. Do Mr. Allingham a load of good, sir. A little melody after dinner. Mr. Allingham rather fatigued? Never saw him so played out, sir. Closing the windows. Oh, Mr. Allingham's compliments, Mr. Shafto. And he says he forgot to inquire whether you and Mr. Elphick would sleep at the Lichens tonight? Not tonight, thanks. I've arranged to take Mr. Elphick on to my father's place at Leatherhead. We shan't keep you up here to the last train, Quaif, or anything like to say Mr. Allingham will be glad to turn in early. Not much good him turning in, Mr. Elphick. Queer nights lately of sorts? Shockin', Mr. Shafto. Quaif goes out. Shafto looking round. Here we are again, Peter. Beers so. Shafto wandering about. This is my first visit to this box since Jack came back here after a split with his wife. And mine. Thought he'd sold it. He merely let it. When he married, let it to a stockbroker. Peter, Jack must have had some sort of a premonition. Some sort of what? Premonition? Stupid ass of a word. Some sort of a premonition of his speedy return to single life. Looking out of the window. Same spotless white gate I rejoice to see. Same elms, same laurels. Ascending the steps. The library. Entering the room. Uh, my heart sinks within me. From within. No. By Jove. Peter. Peter. Elphick goes and looks into the room through the balustrade. What's wrong? Shafto from within. Nothing. <laughs> I breathe again. All the essential features of Jack's library are undisturbed. Coming down the steps. A luxurious sofa, Ruff's turf guide, and the stud book. 
Blessed if there's anything to make fun of in that. Shafto at a table examining bottles. Delightful! Same soda water, same... Elphick sitting, nursing his banjo. No, hang it. Shafto poured out a glass of vermouth. Vermouth. Peter, I was totting things up this morning, gently and quietly, in my bath. Elphick blowing a speck of dust from his banjo. Not really. Yes? You were at Jack's wedding? No, I was up at Mahabaleshwa that spring with Sandington. You stood best man, didn't you? I did. And look here. Jack Allingham is the seventh I've been best man to in nine years. Good figures. Shafto frowning. And they've all managed to get into the divorce courts since, one way or another. After a pause... How's that? Good figures. John Allingham enters, a simple boyish man of about thirty, looking pale and worn. He is dressed for dinner. John shaking hands with Shafto. Hello, Denzel. To Elphick shaking hands with him. Well, Peter, it's awfully good of you fellows proposing to see me through this evening. Not in the least. Speak for yourself, Peter. I couldn't have endured my own company tonight, I can tell you. Sorry, you can't sleep here, though. My governor hasn't seen Peter since he's been home this leave. It's an old promise. I understand. Taking the banjo from Elphick. And you've actually brought the banjo. Well, when a man's a bit low, sometimes a little music. Thanks. To both of them. Warm. Yesterday, today in that law court, wasn't it? Agra in June. Warm in every sense of the word, huh? Hell. John with his hands to his brow. Grr. Now then? It's done with now. John recovering himself. True. That cursed nightmare of an approaching trial isn't waiting for me upstairs in that bedroom of mine any longer. And tomorrow morning, I shall wake with a start to find... What'll the feeling be like that I've no lawyers to interview? Besides, I haven't much to complain of. You two fellows have kept close at my elbow throughout the whole business, hardly ever left me. Well, that's friendship. Shaking hands abruptly, first with Elphick, then with Shafto. God bless her. He walks away and sits on the settee, looking into the fire. Elphick and Shafto stand together, eyeing him uneasily. Shafto, in a whisper to Elphick. Peter, our bags are here. What do you say to not leaving him tonight, after all? Yes, I don't suppose your governor wants to see me so desperate bad as all that comes to. No, I don't suppose he does. I mean, we can go over in the morning. John looking up. Huh? Nothing. John passing his fingers over the strings of the banjo. You don't remember, Denzel. Nor you, Peter. I suppose. She used to thrum on this thing. Well, hardly this thing. The guitar, much the same. Oh, yes. She used to play it very nicely. Shafto puzzled. Who? Mrs. Fraser? Mrs. Fraser? No. Handling the banjo roughly. My wife. Elphick hurrying across to John, taking the banjo from him. Ah, excuse me, old fella. John starting up. I was close to her today. We stared each other right in the eyes. We didn't mean to. 
we simply did it we met in the corridor during lunchtime i was getting out of the way of old portwood i turned sharply and there we were my wife and i face to face it might have been for ten seconds it was like an hour did she look angry no downright ill and distressed to both of them you've seen her in court yes yes yesterday we said how do you do to her yesterday we told you oh yes today not to speak to she nodded to us this morning from the uh uh, uh what do they call it uh, uh not the sink well well of the court denzel hello she was very pretty when i married her wasn't she undoubtedly john sits leaning his head upon his hands shafto walks away quietly to the window elphick sits on the settee and turning his face to the fire strikes up a tune on his banjo that's right tune up peter if i had a savage breast this evening you might soothe it with your tinka 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 tink as kipling says but i haven't isn't that odd boys do you know all the bitterness i've been feeling towards her seems to have died out of me she's been dragging me pretty thoroughly through the mud lately isn't that odd shafto leaving the window and coming to the back of the settee well she's lost the day you see elphick ceasing play she's beaten got nothing for her pains i suppose that's it Ugh. but her face i haven't seen it for months and the silence between us was so strange yes there wasn't much of that old chap between you two when you were together no didn't we quarrel and yet this morning during our little deadly silent encounter she seemed to say more to me than she'd ever said in her life before by jove she has suffered starting up oh damn it he paces to and fro elphick hurriedly resumes his playing shafto seating himself on the back of the settee speaking with a drawl ah uh, i shouldn't worry myself too much if i were you about that other people have suffered john pausing in his walk mrs fraser oh she amongst them poor little theo fraser i'm forgetting her forget all round my dear jack that's the ticket for the future cultivate a single-minded devotion to yourself and the horses you're right denzel by the by i had a line from o'halligan yesterday where is it go into a writing-table and rummaging among the litter there he fancies kildowen very strongly the mare's feeding well that's always been their difficulty you know shafto quietly looking towards the window jack eh who's that woman out there elphick ceases playing where in your garden john looks towards the window elphick rises and makes one of the group john after a pause i don't see anybody she's behind the laurels now john about to go to the window one of the maids shafto laying his hand on john's arm wait a bit goes cautiously to the window peeps out and comes away 
I say, old chap. What's the matter? I thought so. It's your wife. There's a moment's pause, then an excited movement from John. Stop. A pause. What are you going to do? 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 Not anything stupid, Jack. Clear out for a minute, you two fellows. Shafto goes up the steps and into the library, drawing the portier across the door as he disappears. Get out, Peter. Elphick going up the steps and pausing at the door. Jack? What is it? Elphick with an empty expression of face and voice. Don't do anything weak. Get out! Elphick disappears. John hurriedly glances round the room and arranges a displaced chair. Then he discovers that Elphick has left the banjo upon the settee and seizes it impatiently. Oh! Going to the door of the library and drawing aside the portier. Here, Peter, catch! He throws the banjo into the room and readjusts the portier. The instrument is heard to fall with a crash to the floor. He looks into the library hastily. I beg your pardon, old fellow. He descends the steps and goes to the window and opens it, speaking in a low voice. Is anyone there? A pause. Someone's there. Olive, from a little distance. Yes. Who is it? Olive. Well? Are you by yourself? Yes. Come in. He draws back to allow her to pass him. After a short delay, she enters, and without looking at him, comes right into the room. He closes the window, but remains at the end of the room. Olive Allingham is a fashionably and richly dressed woman of a little over thirty years of age. Pale, worn, red-eyed, but still handsome. In manner, she is alternately beseeching and gentle, angry and imperious. The twilight now gradually deepens into dusk. You have some men here. Shafto and Peter Alphick. I asked them to clear out for a moment. What will they think? John, with a shrug of the shoulder. They can scarcely know what to think. Olive walking to the mantelpiece. What do you think yourself of my humbling myself in this fashion? Turning to him. What do you... As she has crossed to the left of the room, he, still at a distance, has moved over to the right, speaking with a catch in her breath. Oh, don't do that. I'm not poisonous, John. He approaches stiffly and silently. She advances towards him plaintively. John, I am quite worn out. Putting her hand to her bosom. Burnt out here. This desperate lawsuit has been my last bolt. I'm finished. Spent. I know my regrets won't avail us much at this time of day. The future has a most melancholy lookout for both of us. But I want to tell you I am truly conscious at last of the evil my jealousy has wrought. Sitting weakly. Yes, John, I, I am quite reasonable at last. Coif enters. Dinner is... He breaks off, staring at Olive. Good evening, Coif. Good evening, ma'am. John to Quaif. Tell Mrs. Quaif to delay dinner for... for... Olive rising and turning away in an altered tone. Oh, five minutes? Tenneth outside. For a quarter of an hour. The lamps. 
quaffed with straws as if in a dream olive bitterly i much regret keeping you and your friends from your dinner it's an exceptionally elaborate entertainment tonight i suppose no no it's of no consequence dinner dinner if every woman in the world were weeping her heart out men would be found dining feeding feasting what was i saying when quaif blundered in where was i john looking at her steadily quite reasonable at last olive after a brief pause speaking gently again oh john advancing a few steps it was inconsiderate of me to break out in that way but i don't mean half the brutal things i say i never did you couldn't have done so any jealous woman will tell you what a slave she is to her paroxysms oh they are dreadful while they last the flame behind one's eyes the buzzing in the ears the dry tongue the thumping of the heart thank god i'm cured you've said something like this to me on other occasions never under such extraordinary circumstances going to him the fact that i can drag myself to you in the spirit after my defeat for the sake of a few words with you must show you what an altered woman i am sitting john i felt i couldn't go back to that lonely flat of mine to-night without first proving to you how thorough my remorse is looking round that dismal flat that you appear to be extremely comfortable here oh it's a little place very cramped this is where you gave me and papa tea once when we were engaged to be married i remember and now ha i suppose i'm a fool not to indulge myself just as luxuriously just as she meets his eye and breaks off shamefacedly faltering with her hand to her brow where was i again you were engaged in demonstrating how thorough your remorse is oh yes after the case ended this afternoon i walked about the streets quite light-headed till i summoned up resolution to try to find you with an effort john that that lady what lady mrs fraser of lockheen yes olive repressing her agitation of course the judge fully justified my action by the very severe way he spoke of her his remarks were infamous i could have taken him by the throat and thrown him into the body of the court no right-thinking person would have blamed me for doing so however he gave her the benefit of the doubt <laughs> the benefit of the doubt and paid me the compliment of believing that i would as one woman to another prefer such a course being adopted john pacing to and fro poor wretched little mrs fraser wait even i see the injustice of it you do haven't i told you i am reasonable at last for whether she be innocent or guilty is no longer the question i'm glad that is no longer the question the point is this woman is entitled to the benefit of the doubt rising and walking to and fro but how can she ever receive the benefit of the doubt if those words which imply the doubt are always to hang over her that's it and they will hang over her forever 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 turning to him unless i cancel them remove them you 
i could john by my attitude towards her in public in society john staring at her why certainly you could olive leaning over a chair and speaking almost into his ear would you like me to like you to i want to atone to you if i can in some measure for the suffering i've caused you would you like me to write mrs fraser oh olive john if you were always so generous so good olive drawing back suddenly ah uh, john after a brief pause i've offended you by saying that you are evidently very keen concerning her keen she's a vulgar common little thing i'm afraid that's not true her people are common excessively bad tone her people are now her husband's people she's married to a gentleman mr fraser has been away from her as much as possible her eyes flashing you know that better than anybody why do you come here after all our struggles and failures after the injury you've endeavored to do me why do you torture me and insult me by trying to repeat the old heart-breaking scenes he throws himself into a chair distractedly there is a pause then she slowly goes to a chair drags it towards him and sits beside him olive panting torture you oh, oh i suffer too rocking herself to and fro well there can be no punishment for jealous women in another world we are damned in this john in a muffled voice with his head in his hands and the fire has burnt out near you tell me i suppose the cinders still retain a little heat dear 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 yes i know my actions are contradictory but her hand stealing towards his in my heart john always in my heart the banjo suddenly strikes up an air john and olive raise their heads and stare at each other then olive slowly backs her chair to its original position what's that peter peter he brought his banjo with him why oh uh? if we hear the banjo with such distinctness they rise he hurriedly ascends the steps and disappears through the portier the music of the banjo stops abruptly and the sound of voices comes from the library coif enters carrying a lamp which he deposits on the table then always watching olive he lights the standard lamp and draws the window curtains my dear fellow my dear jack shh you might have remembered that shh shh the voices in the library are hushed olive commanding herself and crossing to the fireplace and how are you quaif very well indeed i thank you ma'am and your wife exceedingly healthy ma'am for a stout person i hope you look after mr allingham thoroughly all of you we regard him as a trust ma'am if i may make use of the expression a what a solemn trust ma'am olive turning away stuff and nonsense i beg pardon ma'am if i have gone too far john returns john coming down the steps a little flustered quaif sir um mr shafto and mr elphick don't dine 
not dine sir then i have to go on to leatherhead at once is the boy ready to carry their bags to the station the boy can be worried till he's ready sir all right quaif withdraws john and olive now speak in whispers i don't wish this they offered to go they'd rather go have they heard much uh, next to nothing a syllable or two when we were sitting there that's why peter struck up a tune glancing <laughs> <laughs> towards the door uh, shall i slip into the dining room while they pass out please don't they're old friends of both of us they understand perfectly olive returning to the fireplace i'll face it out if you wish it denzil peter shafto and elphick sedately emerge from the library and descend the steps shafto bows to olive olive advancing shaking hands with him across the table graciously oh mr shafto i am so sorry to upset everybody in this way uh, not at all i uh we uh my father at leatherhead elphick encumbered with his banjo and the banjo case joins shafto john goes to the door olive shaking hands with elphick across the table why should you lose your dinner i have really finished all my all my business with my with mr allingham elphick with an effort earnestly no you haven't mrs allingham take it up when we've gone where you broke off wringing her hand do everything you've offered to do try and square things john comes to him and draws him away towards the door john to olive excuse me one moment the three men go out leaving olive staring before her john shafto and elphick are heard talking together in the hall my dear denzil my dear peter my dear fellow we are not at present in the least hungry olive runs up the steps and disappears into the library no conveyance of any kind to get you to the station much before walking i assure you good-bye enjoyed seeing the cottage again enormously the sound of the voices dies away a clock in the library strikes nine john returns john looking round olive olive she reappears you didn't tell me the truth you can hear the slightest sound in there i beg your pardon those men went clean out of my head i was an ass olive descending the steps and that idiot offers me his advice take it up where you broke off at least it's good advice where did we break off at mrs fraser olive walking up the stage beating her hands together mrs fraser the eternal mrs fraser oh. throwing herself into the chair facing the window <sighs> i shall be quite calm in a moment those men upset me john going to her solicitously today has been as exhausting for you as for the rest of us of course there's a dinner prepared here oh no dear i couldn't sit down to a table with you i'm not entitled to do that fetch me a glass of wine and a biscuit don't let a servant bring it john he goes to the dining-room door she rises and calls him john her head drooping do you think we shall ever sit at the same table again you and i 
John, after a pause, sitting looking away from her. Oh, Olive, Olive, remember? Olive fidgeting with the cigarette box. Not for many years, of course. Three or four years at least. Time makes the oddest things possible. I suppose so. It would appear supremely ridiculous to the world, you're afraid. Pish. The world don't matter a damn. Ah, uh, that's delicious. What is? I haven't heard a man swear since I turned you out of Pont Street. Dreamily, almost inaudibly, as she plays with a cigarette. Damn. He looks round at her. She is lost in thought. Suddenly, she crushes the cigarette and flings it from her fiercely. Ah, Theo Fraser smokes. John, starting up in a rage. Ha! Ha! He goes out of the room, Olive following him a few steps penitently. Oh, John! There is a knock at the upper door. Yes? Quaife enters with some cards on a salver. Quaife looking round. I beg pardon, ma'am. A lady and two gentlemen would like to see Mr. Allingham, if it's not disturbing him. She goes to the table and examines the cards. Are these people friends of Mr. Allingham's? Have they ever called on him before? No, ma'am. I fancy the eldest of the two gentlemen came once, if not twice, to Pont Street in, in, in your time, ma'am. I'll give those to Mr. Allingham. He lays the cards out on the table. You'll be rung for. He goes towards the door. You haven't mentioned that I am here. Oh, no, ma'am. I simply said Mr. Allingham was engaged for the moment. Quite right. Thank you. He withdraws. She eagerly scrutinizes the cards, rearranges them upon the table, then goes to the fireplace and stands waiting impatiently. John re-enters, carrying a decanter of champagne and some biscuits in a silver dish which he places on a side table. This is the moet we had just begun to drink when we... You rather liked it, I fancy. Some people have called. They're waiting to see you. John turning. People? So late? Olive pointing to the table. These are their cards. John picking up the cards. Mrs. Cloys, Mr. Claude Almer Emptage. Sir Fletcher Portwood, Mrs. Cloys. That's an aunt. An aunt. An aunt of Mrs. Fraser's. What could they want with me? Isn't it curious? I assure you, I haven't the slightest idea. I suppose nothing has happened to her. To Mrs. Fraser? Yes. Oh, no, nothing ever happens to these women with fair hair and heavy eyelids. John biting his lip. Really? You will see them, I suppose. I can't refuse to see them. May I... may I wait till they have gone? Oh, Olive. She walks to the dining room, he following her. I won't let them detain me very long. Olive rapidly, agitatedly, facing him, her hand on the door handle. This is a most extraordinary visitation. These three people, relatives, to come down on you like this at such an hour. I'm sure you will find that their visit admits of a perfectly reasonable explanation. I've no doubt. You shall have the fullest account of what passes between us. How shall I know it is a full account? John leaving her. <sighs> Olive advancing quickly. 
No, I don't mean that. Her hand to her heart. Oh, do make some allowance for me, for my state of mind. John turning abruptly. Have you the courage to meet these people with me? If so, you can begin tonight to carry out your promise to serve Mrs. Fraser. You can tell her relatives now what your intentions are towards her. Certainly, I have the courage to meet them. Advancing, trembling, breathlessly. But do you know where you are drifting, John? Where I am drifting? Yes, I mean, what position are you willing to give me before these people? Position? I couldn't submit to be treated as a culprit, and there is only one other possible position for me. What is that? The... the... the wife. The wife. Olive, tearfully. Oh, oh, I would try. He leaves her and walks about agitatedly. She sits on the settee, weeping. John, rather wildly. Well, I... I only want to cleanse the slate. My cursed stupidity has smeared poor little Mrs. Fraser's character. I want to put that right. Cuts me to the heart to see how wretched you are, Olive. I want to put that right. Oh, if we fail again... Weak. We can't fail again. It's impossible. John desperately throwing himself into the chair. All right. Heaven have mercy upon us. We're reconciled. Ring the bell. She rises and touches the bell press, and with the aid of the mirror over the mantelpiece, attempts to adjust her hair and straighten her bonnet, he watching her. By Jove, you have pluck. To face these people? <laughs> I call it true courage. It's nothing. I am so happy. Oh, John, you shall never regret this. Quaif enters. John rising. Show Mrs. Cloys and the two gentlemen here. Yes, sir. Tell them that Mr. and Mrs. Allingham are now disengaged. Yes, sir. He withdraws. Olive turning sharply. Mrs. Allingham? It wouldn't be quite fair to spring you upon them suddenly. You've given them warning. They may hurry away to avoid me. No, no. If they did do such a thing. Gah, I can't get my bonnet to sit straight. May I take it off and receive them as if I were at home? If you would rather do so. Olive going to the dining room door. Is there a mirror in here? Yes. She goes out hurriedly. Let me hold the lamp for you. He follows her. After a brief pause, Quaife re-enters, showing in Mrs. Cloy's, Sir Fletcher Portwood, and Claude. Quaife withdraws. Mrs. Cloy's, after looking round the room. The wife. The wife? Who could have anticipated anything so extraordinary? Sir Fletcher Portwood, walking about uneasily. Harriet, your theories and suspicions have involved us in an entanglement of, uh, an unexpected kind. A regular mess, I call it. I wish your choice of expressions was a little heavier, Claude. The boy is right. And we must get out of this as quickly as possible. Yes, 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 yes. But I don't believe the woman will have the daring effrontery to show her face to us. To me, the brother. If she does appear, Fletcher, how on earth are we to explain our visit? Never explain, Harriet. I once explained in the house 
Oh, devil take the house. Harriet. Heaven forgive me. You are unhinged, not yourself. No, no, we must simply avail ourselves of any topic that presents itself. Mercy on us. There is only one topic that can present itself. I am not often nonplussed. You had better watch me closely. Follow my lead. John enters with Olive, who is now without her outdoor apparel. John, after bowing to Mrs. Cloyes. How do you do, Sir Fletcher? Nodding to Claude. How are you, Emptage? Sir Fletcher Portwood, with a wave of the hand towards Mrs. Cloyes. My sister, Mrs. Cloyes. Mrs. Cloyes, Sir Fletcher. There have been some most unhappy differences between my wife and myself in the past, as you know too well. Unfortunately, she and I have not been the only sufferers from these differences. We have dragged others along with us. However, we met this evening half an hour ago and are reconciled. Very proper, very sensible. And I have my wife's authority for saying that her feeling towards Mrs. Fraser are now considerably, in fact, entirely, but she will speak for herself presenting olive awkwardly er my wife olive to sir fletcher and mrs cloyes graciously pray sit down mrs cloyes sits again sir fletcher we knew each other years ago i am delighted to renew pulling himself up uneasily that is of course olive sits on the left and sir fletcher on the right of the table olive addressing mrs cloyes Mrs. Cloyes, it is only fair to you that I should say at once that I don't expect Mrs. Fraser's relatives to treat me at all tenderly over the painful proceedings which terminated today. Mrs. Cloyes bows stiffly. Sir Fletcher eyes her anxiously. So I beg that you will speak before me entirely without reserve. Looking at John. It is my husband's wish that you should do so. Certainly. Mrs. Cloyes and Sir Fletcher Portwood sit staring before them in a glassy way. Olive again glances at John, puzzled. Olive a little impatiently. Naturally, Mrs. Cloyes, I can't think that you have taken this inconvenient journey tonight without some very special, some very definite object. Uh, so far as I am concerned... The object of my visit is in a great part attained when I have given Mr. Allingham my assurance that only absolute proof of his unworthiness will ever induce me to withdraw my friendship from him. I am nothing if not a just man. Genuinely obliged to you, Sir Fletcher. Oh, I am not ashamed of my simple faith in young English manhood and in the efficacy of a training at one of our most honored public schools. True, I was never a public school boy myself. Claude leaning on a chair near the window, with his back to those in the room. <laughs> All turned their heads towards Claude, surprised. Sir Fletcher Portwood rising and going to Claude. No, but I am still capable of rejoicing when I see the traditions of popular British institutions worthily upheld. The world was my public school. Olive, changing her position. Mrs. Cloyes. Sir Fletcher Portwood eyeing Olive and returning quickly. Uh, 
Is there a question more vital, more absorbing, than this great vexed question of education? Is there a question which calls more imperatively upon the attention of thinking men? Olive turning to him with a forced smile. But, Sir Fletcher, you surely haven't brought Mrs. Cloys all the way to Epsom that she may hear you discuss education with my husband? Uh, no, no, good. <laughs> good, excellent. Uh, Suddenly. Now, this cottage. I wonder whether I may ask how many rooms. How many rooms? Twelve. Olive, between her teeth. Twelve. The reason I put the question is this. My dear brother-in-law, the bishop. Mrs. Cloys, under her breath. Eh? Sir Fletcher Portwood looking at Mrs. Cloys significantly. The bishop often suffers from the effects of severe intellectual strain, and it has more than once struck me that for a few weeks in the year this peculiarly invigorating air... Going to the dining-room door. The arrangements appear to be most convenient. May I? The dining-room. Sir Fletcher Portwood opening the door and peeping into the room. Delightful! I can picture the bishop sitting there, my sister there, myself, perhaps, over there. Delightful! Closing the door and moving away, pointing to the upper door. The hall and the little card room I have seen. Wrapping the table. But the grand question is, Mrs. Allingham, would you let? That's the point, Allingham. Would you feel inclined to let? Oh, if his lordship did us the honor of expressing a wish. That's extremely good-natured. Trying to catch Mrs. Cloy's eye. You hear, Harriet? Yes. Sir Fletcher Portwood pointing to the steps. And here? Olive, struggling to suppress her anger. The library. The library. Have I permission? Oh, by all means. Sir Fletcher bustles up the steps and enters the library. Sir Fletcher Portwood out of sight. Cheerful. Very cheerful. A boxity of volumes, but the bishop would bring his own books. Sir Fletcher, while you are there, do examine the little clock on the mantelpiece. The case is modern oriental. Oh, yes, yes. I gave it to Mr. Allingham some years ago. Count those curious stones round the dial. To Mrs. Cloys, rapidly, but forcibly, dropping her voice. Mrs. Cloys. I confess I find it difficult to accept Sir Fletcher's suggestion that you are engaged at this time of night in hunting for fresh air for the bishop. I... Upon Sir Fletcher's disappearance, Claude advances and stands waiting for an opportunity to speak. Claude breaking in in a hollow voice. As Mrs. Fraser's brother... All turn their heads towards Claude again. Olive with clenched hands. Oh... I am endeavouring to speak to Mrs. Cloys. Pardon me. As Mrs. Fraser's brother, and as perhaps the chief sufferer from the result of today's proceedings. Sir Fletcher Portwood appearing suddenly on top of the steps, no longer carrying his hat. What's this? What's this? I refuse to be silenced. As Mrs. Fraser's brother, 
I desire to say that I did not expect to be received tonight by the lady who has done her best, her utmost. Shh, shh. Be quiet, Claude, please. Olive rising and going to John. John, really? Look here, Emptage. You're a boy, at any rate, a very young man. I am a truly unfortunate young man. A blight has been cast upon my name at the very outset of my career. What career? Well, uh, when I am turning various careers over in my mind. Enough, Claude. Sir Fletcher Portwood coming down the steps. Why, when I was five years younger than he, I had already applied my lever to the mountain. I first saw light in forty-four. Olive to John. Oh, forty-four, an easily remembered date, two fours. And what was I doing at his age? Mrs. Cloyes, go away, Claude. Claude retiring. Ha! At least I have had the courage to speak out. He throws himself into a chair at the back, and in course of time falls asleep. His head is seen to drop back upon his shoulder. An arm hangs over the side of the chair. Olive advancing to the table, imperatively. Mrs. Cloyes. I... Excuse me, Fletcher. I believe Mrs. Ellingham is looking to me for some further explanation. Sitting. Mrs. Ellingham, happening to become acquainted today for the first time with several features of this disagreeable business, I thought, it was a fancy of mine, that I should like to, to meet Mr. Ellingham, to talk over, to... Olive, sitting. To talk over. To thrash it all out with John, with, with Allingham. It has not been sufficiently thrashed out, then, in the divorce court. Quite sufficiently. I Sir Fletcher reprovingly. My brother doesn't interpret me correctly. Um, as I have told you, it is a fancy of mine to meet Mr. Ellingham. Just to make his acquaintance. Just to make his acquaintance john uncomfortably very pleased very gratified olive with a hard smile this is rather an odd hour for such a call it would have been earlier but for a little difficulty in discovering mr ellingham's whereabouts when ladies have fancies they don't study the hour before indulging them i am afraid it is so in your family sir fletcher mrs cloyes makes a movement but restrains herself olive uh, the fact is my sister shares with me the lavatier-like faculty for judging character at sight judging character by face manner yes i possess it in a remarkable degree i remember olive to mrs cloyes oh i see you are here to to form an impression of mr allingham Sir Fletcher a little exaggerates my powers, but I confess I am, like many people, very sensitive to receiving impressions through such mediums. I hope your impressions of my husband will be to his advantage. Mrs. Cloyes, looking at John. I think I may say at once that they are not unfavorable. 
because the necessity you find for estimating my husband's character shows you know what it shows mrs ellingham it shows obviously that if you are uncertain as to my husband's innocence you must be equally doubtful of the innocence of your niece mrs fraser mrs cloys rising i-i beg that you will not put such a construction on what i have said olive rising what other construction olive you are not keeping your promise i will keep my promise when i am treated openly and fairly walking away i feel something is going on here that i don't understand that i am not allowed to understand john to mrs cloys and sir fletcher i am extremely sorry but my wife is very fatigued and unstrung to-night quite so quite so we are most inconsiderate harriet come come another time olive turning no no mrs cloys mrs cloys facing olive firmly mrs ellingham i think when we look back upon this evening that you and i will be able to congratulate ourselves upon a considerable exercise of politeness but there are signs that neither of us is equal to a prolonged strain i beg your pardon i will be patient you need have no misgivings on my account perhaps not but i am beginning to be acutely conscious of my own weakness looking round fletcher olive angrily oh oh she paces the room john joins her and is seen expostulating mrs cloys joins sir fletcher olive olive be reasonable i will be when you and your friends are honest with me she leaves him as quaif enters with a note upon a salver end of act two part one